0: Hello everybody, Brett Stewart here. We are back with Movie Go Round. This is part of our marathon coming out on the evening of June 21st, so it'll be in your feeds first thing in the morning, June 22nd, 2018. Three episodes are hitting your feed, and the reason we're doing that is because we feel bad. We have been gone for like three weeks. You've missed a ton of episodes, so we need to catch that up. So you can get them. Right now, all three of them, and then furthermore, you're going to be able to get episodes every single Monday like it used to be, and you know what? This one's on me. It's not on David and Nicole. I have had a really hectic life lately. I switched jobs, and all sorts of things were happening, and I really just didn't give editing the time it deserved, and I want to be better about that and be open about that, so please, you know, accept my sincerest apologies. I so appreciate everyone who takes the time to listen to this show. We're so proud of it. I love doing it with David and Nicole, and I'm glad all of you listened to it. Have three episodes, starting with this episode A Hard Day's Night, in your feed right now, and then every Monday for the foreseeable future, you'll get a ton of new episodes as well. All right, everybody, enjoy the episode. Thanks so much. Hello, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me, as always, my superb co-host, Nicole Davis. How are you this fine afternoon?
1: I'm doing quite well today. It's actually a lovely day here in Salem, Massachusetts. The sun is shining. It's kind of warm. We went to the movies and I can actually relax. It's nice.
0: Right on, very good. You went and saw Infinity War, which I apparently have to see about ten or seventeen movies before I see, but I'm looking <laughs> forward to getting around to it. And someone else who saw Infinity War, it's David Luzader, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. Uh, the 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 thing is, though, I saw Infinity War and then I watched what is essentially Spice World, and essentially I have
1: Spice World. Uh,
2: this this movie, this movie was essentially oh, okay. Spice World. <laughs>
1: So I have Proto some, Spice World.
2: Proto Spice World.
0: <laughs> well, uh, this week was around the world and I'm cultured in a very different way than my two co-hosts who know all those newfangled and old fangled films and countries that don't speak uh, English. <laughs> Nicole's looking at me like, What? <laughs> I don't know a lot of films that aren't in English. Old fangled. (laughs) Old fangled. No, I just mean like new and old films. Uh, (laughs) So I decided to pick another English film that is uh, spoken in English because it is English. It comes from Great Britain, and it is the classic uh, film from 1964, A Hard Day's Night. So next week, I do want to let everybody know is you did this to us. That is the week where you get to vote on a big online poll. You can either vote for what is existing or you can add new films yourself as to what we are going to be watching. You always have the option to either torture or delight us. Uh, Almost always you do the former. And we don't know what that is yet. You're currently voting. But future self is now going to tell you what that is. Hey, everybody, just popping in in the editing room to let you know that it is Jupiter Ascending. That's right. The Mila Kunis flick. That is what we are watching for. You did this to us.
2: I don't want to say if people want to participate in the polls, then they should follow us on Twitter or like our Facebook page. If they, you know, they hear about the polls, they're like, how do I do get to do this to you? That's how.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Please follow us on both of social networks, and that will really help get even more people to torture us every five weeks. It looks like it's going to be an interesting one this time. The Bodyguard with Kevin Costner. Is, I'm uncomfortable it's on the list. <laughs> I'm just going to say that much. I swear to God, if Neon Demon shows up now. It will. Why did okay. you
2: don't say anything?
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but 1964 is a hard day's night. That's a movie that I got to pick. I picked it around the world. It is a British film, and it is a fictionalized day in the life of one of the world's most popular bands starring John Paul Ringo and George. Uh, <laughs> this was a film that I picked because it is really widely beloved. It holds like a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. AFI and Time have put it in the top 100 movies of all time. And it's not a great movie. <laughs> and I fully <laughs> accept that at the beginning of this discussion. But I think the historical significance of it is probably what makes it uh, so widely beloved. Because it's bad, but it's also kind of fun and i think maybe that's why um it's really compelling to me as both a music historian of sorts and a big beatles fan so uh you guys i believe nicole had seen it before correct
1: uh i had seen at least most of it before i don't think i'd seen all of it
0: and this was entirely new to david right that is correct all right. Very good. Well, essentially, I wish I could give a plot recap, but there really is no plot. No and that plot. was one of the discussion points I think David probably wanted to get into. Uh, it, there's no plot. They get on a train. They get off the train. They run around for a while. And that's kind of the movie.
2: Yeah. They, they go to
1: a TV studio and like clubs and other things right. in between. Well, they're,
2: yeah. they They end a concert, and then it's them running away from their fans uh and cost like constantly disguising themselves to not be noticed by their fans and then their fans like find them seconds like again anyway and then they go on a train where you think like a plot's going to begin with like with george's grandfather
0: or uh paul's grand is it
2: paul's grandfather yes. uh yeah yeah paul's grandfather. john mccartney Uh, which that doesn't, then nothing materializes there. And then it's just like, all right, you guys are playing at this TV station. And like, uh, so just sit around for a couple hours. And it's just, there's shenanigans for that couple of hours. And I'm like, seriously, I was like, I had half an hour left and I'm like, am I writing? Am I watching the right movie? Is this really?
1: Yeah. Ringo
0: has an existential crisis at one point. And so he goes Um, and eats a bad sandwich. Yeah. He goes and like eats a sandwich incorrectly and a
2: woman scolds him for it. Uh-huh. No, he's upset
1: because it's stale that's why he's yeah. given that
2: and she said it, it was fresh this morning right <laughs> right
0: and uh in addition to that there's all sorts of other shenanigans that involve um them running around in parks and john yeah a songs. great scene of john in the bathtub um
1: <laughs> yeah. that is my favorite part of the movie
0: that's one of the classic scenes where, <laughs> where their manager drains the bathtub and john is no longer in it um it this this seems to pull a lot from like to me, like, like I don't know, like the Three Stooges kind of comedy. Oh,
1: no, um, like, bite your tongue. No? <laughs> I would agree. Marx Brothers, I would say, would okay, be more. Okay, maybe
0: that. Um, like But it. it's slapsticky less- and dumb.
1: There's less punching and poking involved. <laughs>
0: That's true. There is no punching no or poking speeches. in this. Um, and and none of the... I, this was another discussion topic from David. None of the Beatles... I mean, well, you just said the Beatles as actors. I think we can all agreed <laughs> none of them are particularly good.
2: No. I, and I will say none of them are particularly terrible, though. No, none of them no, are, girl, like, really... it's not awful but again they're not trying to carry a plot they're just like having fun and so i think like and i haven't seen any of the other beatles movies if they're i mean i know there's There's one more live action and then a um animated okay so i haven't seen any other movies that might be more plot heavy quote unquote so i don't know in that arena but in this one yeah they're like they're fine but it's again it's just like them having fun and yeah they're fine at having fun
1: <laughs> no. I think there was a learning curve. There was this, and then they did uh, Help, and then the Magical Mystery Tour, and then Yellow Submarine.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, there are two animated.
1: You're right. Uh, I don't think. I think Magical. I thought Magical Mystery Tour was live action. Anyway, but um, yeah, this there, they're barely there. There was a script. It looks like it's all improvised, but it's actually mostly scripted. Um, but they're. They're not bad. I mean, I think George and John particularly have this very easy charm. They seem very kind of laid back and um, can can roll with it, you know, with whatever's going on around them. And Ringo just seems relaxed and like he's totally being himself
2: mm-hmm. um, um,
1: and himself is kind of a goof and, you know, <laughs> maybe a little slow, but easygoing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I been know, I've Paul been,
1: is the only one that's a little awkward, I think.
2: Yeah. I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld lately, and a moment that I particularly liked was when um John was talking to this woman and she was like, Are you? And like they have this whole thing where it's like she's trying to figure out, is this John Lennon? but they don't ever say john lennon and it was and and then like she finally gets a good look at him and like no no you're not him uh like your face is all wrong and i haven't maybe it's because i've been watching a lot of seinfeld that was a very seinfeldian moment i thought that was pretty funny um i oh i was gonna say something about the oh yeah so if you're like me and you don't really know what the Beatles look like as young guys familiarize yourself with that before you watch this because (laughs) especially that opening train scene i'm like i don't which one is George? Oh, god. oh my god! Uh, oh, I'm old.
0: <laughs> well, um, well, yes. They and also I would also say John has some of the great wisecracks of the movie. Uh, you know when when there's a great oh, scene when all the reporters are asking questions in this. Which big those are like line. those are supposed
2: to be lines from actual interviews, right? Yeah,
0: they're the- lines from actual interviews, and it's and it's. You know, making fun of the dumb kind of questions that all of these 1960s icons would get. You know, one of the famous interviews of the 1960s was when Dylan just eviscerated a reporter for asking him if he believed in what he sang in. And he said, "Of course." Did you ask the Beatles that? <sighs> and in the same you know vein, none of them can take these questions seriously because they're absurd. You know, like um, like one woman asked, "How do you find uh, Amer- America?" As in, like you know, what what do you what do you like about it? How are you enjoying your time? And John just says, oh, I just turned left when I got to Greenland. Uh, (laughs) And then Paul is just pretending he's John throughout the entirety of that sequence. And then Ringo is being asked about what he likes his women to wear. This is like the dumbest questions you can ask people. And they know they're dumb and they're playing with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I love about parts of this movie is that it poked holes in how like the mythology of what it means to be a rock and roller, right? Because they're in their early twenties in this, they're like my age in this and they are having fun because they have way too much fame and they can't take it seriously.
2: And they have all this time to do like nothing, which like probably, you know, they were spending a lot of that time writing music more so than running around in parks. Um, But the parts, (laughs) the parts where they were making fun of Beatlemania, I, th- I are probably some of the parts that I like the most about this. And um, there's this thing about, they talk about their haircuts a couple times, which I know that has something that came up a lot for them. And it also reminds me of around the time of the Boston marathon bombing, these, uh, these, Wait, oh okay, yeah, that's a real left
0: turn. Hold on, no, no no, 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 no. It's it's all gonna connect. <laughs> you know, I was it's seeing all... the mop
2: tops, and I was just thinking about terrorism. It's but, all sorry, gonna connect. Continue. It's all gonna connect. So around that <laughs> same time, for an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, these guys went around and put up these uh, electronic, like um, light bright, uh, the, like, these characters called Moon Moon Mooninites from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. They put up like these light bright sort of versions around the city to promote the show. And, of course, there are these guys walking around with electronics, putting them on buildings, and people were like, oh, it's bombs, ah. And so they, these guys got arrested, and they had, like, the press conference after, and they were doing what they <laughs> learned from a Beatles interview and just talked about haircuts the entire time. <laughs> and that that's – so when I was hearing those questions of the haircuts, I just thought about those two guys just, like, blowing off all these questions and just talking about haircuts as the Beatles would do. Anyway, right. that's my little anecdote. It's out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> I think the, the clever thing I found about the press conference part is that it features not just a lot of like one liners, but a lot of inferred jokes mm-hmm. where we get the punchline but not the question. Right. And so we have to figure out what what was asked of them to produce this answer. So Yeah, absolutely. Off, absolutely.
0: I mean, I think the reason I I just to kind of get into the reason I think this movie is really rated so highly amongst critics, especially critics who are notoriously critical. People like Roger Ebert who love this movie. Um, I think it is because this is the these are these four boys that came from nothing. You know, like the movie makes a joke about how Paul has like royal heritage and a multi-million dollar grandfather, and that's not true. They came from very poor upbringings in Liverpool, and to show them and humanize them in a way that you couldn't uh, at, at the time because you didn't have you know podcasts you, you didn't have Mark Marin's garage that you can invite these guys into <laughs> you know there weren't ways to uh, break through the stardom of beatlemania to show that they were just guys that wanted to have fun, and they were lighthearted, and that they weren't taking themselves that seriously. Well, and also this is an insight into like when they were happy, <laughs> because like a year right. later the Beatles were very unhappy um, because this lifestyle got to them and it tore them apart. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting insight.
2: Uh, and they their image, uh, especially in this time, or you know, around the Ed Sullivan Show and all that, was very manufactured because. Correct me if I'm wrong, like when they started out, they were much more like kind of what we would think now of like punk rock playing in little clubs being like kind of, uh, I can't think of the word, but like being just a lot more like in your face and rude and loud and, you know, words that old yeah, people yeah, like little to little... use about music. And then yeah, a
1: little bit more um, skiffle. I believe is Absolutely. the term for the music they were playing beforehand and they were like wearing leather jackets and slicking That's back right. their hair and being rebellious looking yeah. and then they got you know they they became the Beatles and were put into these suits and look more alike and um, you know comport themselves a little more um, I don't want to say straight laced but more polite, let's say. Um, so, I mean, it was very, I mean, they were definitely packaged um, and that is something that it made them more marketable. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you can brand them easily. Here are the Beatles. They look like this. They dress like this. They come out with songs. You know, they put out albums like two or three times a year. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, exactly, the rate and I think they were putting out music was tremendous.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, their output was—you're right—it was—it was absolutely massive, and there was a a, a mop top look, right? You could buy the wigs, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and they were on lunch boxes, and they were the bobbleheads, and that was very marketable. And Nicole's 100 percent right in their early skiffle years in Liverpool, they were wearing leather jackets, slicking back their hair, and they wanted to be Elvis. That is what you know made John want to start a band. John started the Beatles and he wanted to be Elvis. And they started moving more in that rocker direction in their later years. The turning point for that is probably Rubber Soul, um, which would come not too far after this movie, really. Because again, uh, this movie is really right before the collapse. Because in 65, 66, the Beatles were miserable. And I think one of the great insights into this is the documentary that Ron Howard made for Hulu last year called uh, Eight Days a Week. Hmm. And it's all about how they were being toured just nonstop. You know, the reason there is a brotherly camaraderie between these four, which you totally see in this movie, they're sharing hotel rooms. You know, John's in the bathtub while George is shaving. And like there is an intimate um, brotherly bond between all four of them. And it's because that they were constantly shoved into these crazy positions 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, it, that it was a very difficult lifestyle to live. And that's why for the last four and a half years of the Beatles' career, they didn't perform live. They stopped that entire circuit and only went into the studio about, like, revolver and on. And I think that, you know, to see them young and happy is a nice thing because there were some dark years ahead for the Beatles in terms of, like, their own personal happiness. Um, But I think this is the group that arguably changed music in the 20th century more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And it's rare that you get... Uh, an insight into how they were when they were young, like, that's well produced like this, or at least, you know, better produced than home video. Uh, (sighs) And I think part of that really is credit to George Martin. George Martin was their producer for all of their records, except Let It Be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was the one that helped create that marketable image, but he was also the one that allowed the Beatles to thrive, because he knew the Beatles were so talented that they could be more than just a CFL rock group, that they could be more than just A pub, the Cavern in Liverpool, playing on Tuesday night. They could be world, you know, superstars. And George Martin really brought them into that and showed them how to be revolutionary in the studio. And he did all the music for this movie, like he was the sound producer and director and all that sort of thing. And uh, the the music in this movie is great. I mean, they're the great Beatles hits of that (laughs) album, Um, but the way it's incorporated, I think, is also important because this started a really a revolution of musical like movies and TV shows where it's not just like music scene it's not like it's not like there's a music video in the middle of the movie it like it just kind of moves into it right like like they're just playing cards and then well. they start singing it's
2: a, it's a little <laughs> bit music video y a couple points for sure
0: yeah perhaps yeah. but I mean it's not it, it doesn't feel like quite it's not like an abrupt shift to me anyway. It feels like it is something that's happening in the movie and that's fine.
1: But I mean it's it, you're it's a little bit backward though, you know, playing these putting these great songs in the movie. They wrote the songs for the movie. For the movie, help us a soundtrack ultimately. They got yeah, they they got um, the movie was created uh, it was the idea was started by United United Artists Records who wanted to cash in on the Beatles by putting out a soundtrack album. But in order to have a soundtrack album, they, they had, had to make a, a film. Yep. So, <laughs> so they paid to get this movie made um, it, because the the Beatles weren't signed with them. You know, they were signed with another record label. So they had to, in order to get a Beatles record, they had to make the movie. So they would have the soundtrack rights.
2: <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. They're, there's such a product at, the, at this time in there. Oh, yeah, life. absolutely. And it's funny product.
0: because the the movie opens just like the album, and it's such that the famous guitar chord, like the down, it's been a hard, and it goes right into the song. And it's a great soundtrack for being written for a movie. And that's because even though a lot of these early Beatle records were essentially just pop music, mm-hmm. they're they're timeless songs, and they're songs everyone of every generation knows. And it works really well, I think, in the movie, and I think continued to work well in the subsequent, you know, multimedia platform stuff they did do. Uh, and it all it's I always find it funny that you find the record in the store and someone says, like, why does it say soundtrack on it? Because, <laughs> because it's it it for the movie. Absolutely. And it's and it's a great soundtrack, I think. It actually omits some songs. There's some songs on the uh soundtrack that are not in the movie like if i fell for example is uh on the soundtrack not in the movie also this was also the time i should note for those who care about beatles trivia (laughs) that john and paul were writing all the songs essentially
2: yeah even Um, even in the credits it says it's like lyrics by songs by yeah Pollen. That's
0: right, uh, and it's and that's actually not entirely fair because there's a snippet of a George song in here, uh, but the Beatles had a little bit of an issue giving the other two credit when credit was due, and uh, that started to get better in the later years because he started to see songs that George wrote on stuff like Rubber Soul and Revolver, uh, you know, songs like. You know um something and that sort of thing because he was a really good songwriter but at the at the core it was really Paul and John and I when I watch this movie I can totally feel Paul and John's energy together like it they feel like really good friends it does it, none of that ever felt manufactured to me they loved each other and this really was brotherly and I think that's what is really powerful about this movie to me
1: yeah
0: yeah well yeah Let's get into a couple other discussion topics. What makes this movie particularly British? This is from Nicole. Uh, it's the so, excellent. around the
1: world, pick okay. You know, what's what makes this what makes this international? What what makes it different from an American movie?
0: I would say for me, um, the the thing that makes it international for me is that it is a British take on Bre- on Beatlemania. This is not post uh, U.S. arrival. Well it, well, it actually is post-U.S. arrival, but it was made in Britain, right? Like this was uh, – they're going on trains around the U.K., um, and I think more than just the setting, it is a, a British look at what Beatlemania was, and it's something you couldn't do if you made it in the U.S., um, you had to have a bunch of british people around them you had to have the really dumb looking british cops in their really tall hats running all over <laughs> the street trying to get trying to get this absurd grandpa that's like running all over the place and you had to have the british television stations which were notoriously more cutthroat than ours fighting all over with the producer in order to get the beatles on the air and the beatles at the end of the day are like the most British thing ever <laughs> they're like the they're like Britain's most valuable export of the 20th century and I think that this is a um, a way to merchandise them that actually ended up being kind of good
2: I mean yeah I, to, to speak with that if you want to know just like how you know how big if you're listening to this and you somehow never heard of the Beatles I mean go look at like the fact that there was a rock star version of just the Beatles and like as far as I know that was fairly successful. Like it was pe- great. I love that one. Yeah, it's actually really, really fun. But, like, they had enough stuff to, like, put out. And, yeah, they, I mean, and they're also so tied in with where they're from. Like, there's a lot of bands I'll listen to and some will be like, you know, these guys are Canadian? I'm like, oh, really? Like, I they just sound like, you know, it's like it's just music. But when I think of, like, when I think of London – I think of like the Beatles as one of the things, and like I've been to Abbey Road, and like Abbey Road is like a huge deal. Like traffic is constantly being stopped there by people trying to recreate that picture, and uh, you can you can write on the wall that is seen in the background.
0: Oh man, would I kill to do that? Would I kill to stop traffic to get a good crossing of Abbey Road photo? Don't
2: be. Everyone uh, does it, Brett. It's like don't be the person that's holding up the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I don't care,
0: I don't care I I grew up loving these guys and you know what, I think like one thing I'll say really quickly and I'd love to hear Nicole's thoughts as well is that um, when this movie had its 50th anniversary recently they aired it at the Music Box here in Chicago and they remastered it and it's really, hopefully you saw the HD version looks fantastic and there's something like with this movie that brings people back if you were a part of it uh, to a innocence of loving the Beatles and loving the fact that they were coming to you if you were American, that this was part of that invasion. This is really the earliest onset of the British invasion. And I think that's really powerful. You know, my, one of my best friends here in the city, Terry Hemmert, is the, the XRT DJ that loves the Beatles. That's how she's best known. You know, she does Breakfast with the Beatles Sunday mornings. And when Paul was playing at the White House she was invited to go to that she's very tied into beatles and and everything about them and it was emotional for her i know to go and see this movie with a with a sold out crowd of people in chicago because it was all of them reliving this love of the beatles they had or sharing it with those that were too not born yet or too young to realize it. Um, when I watch this movie, I think about being introduced to the Beatles very young, too. And in turn, that introduces you to the British invasion, which changed American music. And, and a- around the world, changed rock and roll, changed blues, changed folk. Um, so I think that's kind of, for me, what makes it very British. Uh, what about you, Nicole?
1: Oh, Now, see, here's where we could get into an argument, which is that the, it was the blues that influenced British music, which in turn brought it Back here in an altered form, right? Absolutely, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I teach a music. Well, I would know that movies. you would know, know that. I just, you know, we No, but do, what I'm saying is that the induction
0: of British blues, uh, the induction of British blues by white artists allowed people to go back and listen to music that they had never heard before. I, I've always said, and I and I learned this from aforementioned, you know, Terry Hemmert, that uh, the British introduced us to our own music.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> they really. Yeah, did I think that's a fair way to put it.
0: Yeah. And, and, and also it did impact the way the blues moved forward because a lot of those legacy artists like Muddy Waters, uh, like Helen Wolf would play with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And that's another thing I'll very quickly state is that when the Beatles went on tour in the U S eventually, they were one of those forces that, that, you know, kicked us right in the balls when it came to getting into the, you know, the new era of being a, Human being, and not a horrible person. They would not play segregated crowds. You know, they wouldn't do it. Um, they had no interest in like their labels telling them they couldn't bring black artists that they loved as openers. They brought girl groups that were black artists, like the Ronettes, all the time on tour because they wanted their fans to know where "Please, Mister Postman" came from because it wasn't their song, <laughs> and they wanted people to know that. Um, so, like that i don't i don't know where i'm going with that it, they're, they're, i love the beatles
1: <laughs> uh, go ahead nicole uh well okay so i i guess i'll i'll start by saying i was introduced to the beatles by my mostly my aunt who was 14 when a hard days night came out so she was prime age oh yeah for their arrival and she had all their albums on vinyl the original pressings, and I wish to God I still had those. Um, they have a lot of those have have since wandered away. Um, but you know, she's where I first heard them, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, these. I think even as a kid, I realized, you know, these guys, it's simple and it's pop music, but it's incredibly well crafted. Um. And simply played, but played well. And, you know, I think that was part of their secret is that the songs were simple. And if you are a talented enough um, musician, they were fairly easy to copy, you know, so that people would go around doing Beatles covers when they were in uh, playing in clubs and whatnot. And that helped spread their music and popularity. And this movie definitely also did a bang up job of it. I think it came shortly after their uh, appearance on Ed Sullivan. I think that was, I watched this documentary that was very (laughs) helpful to me in this. And it was called, uh, you can't do that, which is a history of a hard day's night and how it was made. This sounds cool. Uh, I found it on YouTube. I'm sure perfectly legitimately. (sighs) And, <laughs> uh, you know, this came out. This was uh, conceived of in like October of 63. They started production in February of 64 and shot it in March and April of 1964. And then it was released in July 1964. So it was it moved Right along, once the machine got rolling, it was on its way very quickly. Um, And I think, I don't know, I think the only thing I would say that was particularly, (sighs) what made it particularly British was actually in the way it was rebelling against the traditional British uh, standards and uh, the way they did comedy, the way they did music, the way they did television. You know, it was you can see there's this very sort of stiffness in the older generation in the movie, like the people in their 40s and their 50s have this very uh fixed notions of how things should be and how things should run. And the Beatles are like running around and they're they're rebelling, but they're rebelling super politely. <laughs> <Right>. and-
2: <laughs> oh sorry sorry we were in your field <laughs> field, Governor. We'll just head on off then. Yeah no. they were not the Rolling yeah, yeah.
0: Stones.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, and the, the guy on the train is being rude to them and John just sort of leans and goes was a kiss, you know. <laughs> Which I love, the, of- love.
2: I love the look on his face because you can tell he's almost laughing when he says that
1: line. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's he's definitely amusing himself in this movie. So I mean, American Rebellion looked more like, oh heck, uh, the Wild One kind of thing with Brando and his. Uh, uh, yeah his motorcycle, and they're you know they're criminals, and they're yeah, rude, type stuff, and they're nasty. And, yeah, you know it's, but they're misunderstood. They're so tragically misunderstood. You know that's, America. That was re- American rebellion. Uh-huh. You know, this is much more. Uh, it's the nicest rebellion you've ever seen. <laughs> I just
2: I just had a thought come to me that the version of this movie with a plot is that thing you do which is i've never seen that what you've never seen that thing you do no that, oh my god Brett. brett especially you would <laughs> i think you would actually really like that thing you do especially like that i think you would that last uh eds like the 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 part when they're on the show and they're kind of between the cameras and they're showing the shots like that is very similar to what is happening in um, near the end of that thing, you do when they're on TV. Just has
0: my Hanks in it. I need to see this. Yeah, they,
2: Tom Hanks like yeah. produced it, and like he made sure that movie got. I think his music company uh, made like the soundtrack, and it's a good soundtrack. Uh,
0: can this just be my? Um, in that, in this case, can this be like my passion project of an of an actor replacement for Beyond the Sea? Because I can't ever watch that again. Apparently, I tried mm. recently. I think we
2: talked about that. It just doesn't work, so I'll just switch it with this. There you go. There you go. I, I think you would really like that thing oh, you I do. I am surprised, this. but now now that I'm thinking about it, like that movie would not exist without this movie, because a lot of this the movie kind of informs that. And you know, that thing you do is more plot heavy, and there's a story going on spanning a few years, uh, well, a few months. But uh, just yeah, just a thought I had.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And to touch briefly on what Nicole was saying. There is a quote from the director, uh, Richard Lester, that really does address this quite well. He says, The general aim of the film was to present what was apparently becoming a social phenomenon in this country. Anarchy is too strong a word, but the quality of confidence that the boys exuded, confidence that they could dress as they liked, speak as they liked, talk to the queen as they liked, talk to the people on the train who fought the war for them as they liked, everything was still based on privilege. Privilege by schooling, privilege by birth, privilege by accent, privilege by speech. The Beatles were the first people to really attack this. They said, "If you want to do something, do it. You can do it. Forget about all this talk about talent or ability or money or speech. Just do it. Uh, just do." I should put that in a, you uh, know, what's his name? Just Shia LaBeouf. She, Sh- just, Shia, just Shia LaBeouf do it. name. But uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I the Beatles are the nice version of this, right? Because then, <laughs> then about six months later, the Rolling Stones show up in the U.S. and you start trashing their hotels. Um, and right. I love the Stones in their own right, but they're a very different style. up um, I don't remember. Resume as necessary. Yep.
1: As I was saying, there's yeah, I, there seems to be, or at least there used to be, this sort of perception that you had to be a Beatles fan or a Stones fan, and
2: dumb. Yeah,
1: it, it is dumb. It, it is dumb. I, but it is true that I like the Beatles, but I love the Stones. Totally because fair. I think the Stones are style. more, yeah, they're they're much more bluesy. They're much more heavily influenced by like the the Delta blues of the U.S
0: hundred percent. I mean, as I said earlier, when the Beatles went on tour, they were bringing the Ronettes because they pulled American influence from girl groups. Whereas when the Stones went on tour, they were bringing Howlin' Wolf because they were pulling influence from Chicago. Uh, the first place the Stones went when they got to the U.S. was Chicago. They wanted to go to Chess Records. They wanted to record at Chess Records. Um, and there's a very different style of, of music from both of them. And there's actually some very interesting... Uh, video tidbits of the Stones that are not quite in movie format necessarily, but they lived a very different life <laughs> than the Beatles yes. did. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's absurd that you can't, you can't, you can love both. I've never well, liked that.
2: Yeah. Um, those those yeah, sorts true. of fights exist in like everything. As like a comic fan, you know, it's like Marvel or DC, but like really, in the last you couple can't of years, love Star Trek and Star <laughs> right, Wars. exactly. But I'm like as time goes on, it kind of mellows out. Where it's like, yeah, you can like both. You can have a preference, but it's okay to like both, and no one's saying you can't.
0: Oh, yeah. Right. And, and another thing in this movie I wanted to talk briefly about was the the grandfather that was brought into this movie. Uh, the grandfather, which is played by um, Wilfred Bramble, was familiar <laughs> to audiences because he was in a, uh, a sitcom in Britain called Steptoe and Son, where he was often referred to as, quote, a dirty old man. Hence why in this movie he's always just referred to as very, very clean uh, and that's like a running joke throughout the entire movie. Uh, and he was not supposed to be in the movie. Was is to my understanding? And then they added his part in at a slightly later stage. And he's a very interesting part of the movie for me, and I kind of love it. Like he's... there are scenes when he is trying to forge his grandson's signature on a bunch oh, of yeah, stuff. When he's, so he's signing all the papers. It, yeah, or the pictures. So Right, so he can sell it to the fangirls outside, presses the button because he's underneath a stage of that where they're broadcasting an opera, and he just comes up into the middle of the opera. And it's just these like Pink Panther esque like bizarre bizarre oddities that his character
2: brings to the movie. Yeah, this movie is like a string of jokes, basically. And then occasionally music.
1: Well, I mean, Richard Lester was a comedy director, you know, at the time. He was he directed something called The Mouse That Roared. Uh, which was a very big comedy a couple of years beforehand, I believe. He directed some of The Goon Show, which started out as a radio program uh, that ran for many years that uh, featured, uh, was Spike Milligan did the music for it and uh, Peter Sellers was in it. And I mean, Peter Sellers is a big influence I think on the comedic style of this movie particularly mm-hmm. the stuff that John does mm-hmm. I mean that bit in the bathtub he's doing Peter Sellers voice from Dr. Strangelove right he sounds like a drunken u-boat captain you know talking about his his toy submarine and is is doing the Peter Sellers voice as Dr. Strangelove and it's very you know it's
0: Oh, 100%. It's
1: fantastic. And it, it just, the timing just works. Dr. Strangelove came out in January of 1964, so he would have been able to see it. And it strikes me as the sort of movie that John, who is, you know, quote unquote, the intellectual one, you know, <laughs> would, would be into. And I think that's what he's doing.
0: Totally, um, totally
1: so yeah i mean i like i like the grandfather character he's he's fun you know he's also he is a dirty old man though still you know when he's in the gambling club there's this oh my
0: god rather
1: large busted woman looking over his shoulder and at one point he turns to her and cracks you know i bet you're a great swimmer
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's so ridiculous it's
1: subtle but it's
2: Oh yeah! Uh, and, oh yeah! Oh man! What's that line when like they come back and like the the one guy is like in the closet now because he hears them coming and is like oh, I gotta hide, and I think it's like again I can't really remember which one it was. George
0: I mean, walks over. No, Ringo walks
2: over first, and then George, and then yeah, one of them like George. puts something in the closet and is just like, "Do you remember there being a man in the cupboard?" <laughs> like <it's> just so <laughs> casual about it. Like no, it's not that weird. And there
0: was a concern amongst uh, United Artists executives. When this was released in America that um, people would not be able to understand the group and they actually wanted to overdub their voices oh, at which point um, McCartney like. was very angry about this replying look if we can understand a beeping cowboy talking Texan they can understand us talking Liverpool <laughs> and they're not yeah. hard to understand I mean there's some colloquialisms no. that are different amongst especially the older generation like the cops and the in the um, in the, like the precinct uh, but it, you can follow it. I'm like, like come on. Um, and then one of my other favorite scenes I just want to briefly do a shout out to comedically is during Ringo's existential crisis where the grandfather, who is always causing trouble, has now convinced Ringo he needs to go out and live a young man's life, which apparently consists of walking along the beach, trying to pick up a rock, and then eating a stale sandwich while taking photos. Um, there's two, two scenes I love. A, Ringo trying to take artsy photos of the water and setting up his camera on top of a big rock with a string to press the button, and then he just knocks the camera into the water and has to really sadly fish it out. And then the second scene is when he has this moment of chivalry and starts laying down his coat across puddles for this woman who is walking through a construction site and he keeps laying them across puddle after puddle after puddle, and then he lays it across a big giant hole that they've just uh like dug. And you don't see it's a big giant hole when he lays it down, and then the second she walks, she just plummets down in. And um, you know, it's funny because she's not hurt, you know, right? There of course there was a big burly construction man at the bottom of the hole and he, you know, comes up with her in his arms. But there's just so many great little ringoisms in this movie to me. And I say Ringoism because that is what John called them. The hard days night is something that Ringo told a, uh, a television reporter. I'm I'm sorry. No, a radio reporter. Uh, they were asking him in an interview how they work in the studio. And he meant to say like, it's been a really hard day's work, but instead he was, he said, it's been a really hard day's night. (laughs) And they thought that would be a great title. And, uh, the Ringoisms are all over this movie and just really make me love Ringo more than I already do. He gets a short straw and everything, and he's lovely.
1: He's, he's sort of painted as the, the lovable loser of the group. Yeah. You know, not exactly a loser, but he's he's never privy to the exciting things that go on. You know, he no. never gets the girl. He doesn't get... Uh, told how good looking he is you know he's got paul's grandfather telling him it's not his fault he's got that huge great hunk yeah
2: the giant nose thing that keeps well, there's coming a great
0: up great scene in the in the train at the beginning of the movie when this woman is like looking at him and him and george through through uh one of the train cars and she's like like trying to get ringo to come in and he thinks she's talking to george and then george is like you need to go in there and he just turns to george and says no it'll just end it'll it'll just end up in rejection i'm just stopping it right now i i I really liked that
2: bit poor ringo (laughs) yeah and everybody always you know quotes that one time where it's like is he the best drummer in the world he's not even the best drummer in the beatles (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. Well John I mean uh uh sorry, Paul's a very competent drummer, but mm-hmm. uh really quick shout out. Ringo's an incredible
2: drummer. Now he's he's a great flashy. drummer.
0: Yeah. He's not oh, yeah. flashy, and that's what people well, that's it, what people shit on him for. And he, that he's not flashy.
2: And there are like recordings where they would like they would find time and in, in shows and stuff to like make like make him have to do a drum solo if like, that he did not want to do. Uh yeah. and when he would do it he, he would be really good at it, but you know, it he, he, wasn't his style. He wasn't like the look at me kind of guy.
0: Oh, yeah. There's, there's a great video for those interested on YouTube of Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters slash Nirvana, uh, who's also you know a drummer as well. He was a drummer in Nirvana. Uh, yeah. Talking about why Ringo's his favorite drummer, because Ringo does not miss a beat. You know, you can oh. put Ringo on anything and Ringo will always be in time and always be perfectly in the background and never ostentatiously try to surpass you. And uh, that's what's really great about him. And that's really, I think, what's great about all four of them that you can see in this movie is that the camaraderie is also echoed in the music. Everyone had their role. They're, in the early years, there's really no egotism. Mm-hmm. Um, less so in the later years. <laughs> right. but, but you notice in this movie, you know, they're sharing microphones. And they're, you know, John, Paul, and George are all singing different songs. And there really was a shared uh, spotlight amongst the four of them. That became a struggle later on. Uh, but in this movie, again, it shows the innocence of the young Beatles, and it's great. Uh, and I think the final, maybe, discussion question we have this is actually one for me. Uh, is this one of the only marketing ploys involving popular music artists that actually made A, money, and B, the critics actually liked it? Because- and I see,
1: it's the second part that's the tough part.
0: Right, that's the <laughs> tough part, because there have been. Right, because a lot of marketing ploys make money, but critics always hate them, they're always bad. Uh, because there's a ton of these over the years, right? Of like, let's take the current popular pop group and put them in a movie and it's bad. You
1: pack a lot of songs into it. Well, I don't know. I mean, Beach Blanket Bingo wasn't so bad. As,
2: look, I'm not saying it's good, but if you want to talk about making money, as I mentioned, Spice World had a budget of $25 million, <laughs> oh. made $151 million. That movie God. was a veritable success, like, or verifiable success. Yeah, but
1: they made yeah. a ton of money. And, and I guess not critically well received. No, television. no, it's a terrible,
2: terrible
0: movie. <laughs> and something that's also not not particularly critically well received, but I do think holds up and is good in a bad kind of way came from this movie, which is the Monkeys TV show. Um, and that was like that was like hyper consumerism to an extreme degree because not only was everything in the show crafted for the show. But the band itself was crafted for the show. You know, Davy Jones and the rest of the monkeys were made part- especially just to be an American Beatles knockoff on TV. But it happened yeah. to actually be decent and release some really good singles. Um, hey, hey, so maybe that's a, a reasonable shout out. Yeah, but I think a lot of the time you take someone who's popular. And you could even expand this to just like popular artists who you throw in a movie. Excluding Justin Timberlake because he can actually act somewhat, and like Jared Leto too. Um, they, it's just bad. <laughs> it's just bad, and like, and maybe it's because there's no plot. Maybe it's because uh, this
2: movie asks very little psh, from the Beatles. Um, if you're trying but, to tell me that David Bowie in the Prestige is not great as Nikola Tesla, oh,
0: oh we need to, we need to exclude Bowie. Come on, I'm the labyrinth guy. I am the first and foremost to defend oh, right cinematic prowess. That was a movie that we watched. I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> i'm yeah. watching it tomorrow in theaters uh but yeah it's um i love bowie but i don't know i think that is something that happens a whole lot right you see someone who's popular and you want to market them even more in mediums that they're not supposed to be in and because sure. maybe the the beatles had the option to do nothing with this and just be themselves maybe that's why well, it's good
2: yeah and they, they want to market your star power I, I always think of the uh the quote from mitch Hedberg. It was like, you know, people, people always asking if I, if I can write like scripts, if I can write scripts for them, It's like, you know, you work really hard to be a farmer and to grow crops. People are like, all right, cool. You can, you can, you can farm, but can you be a chef? Where it's like I've worked really hard at this one thing, and now you want me to do like this other thing. And yes, Mitch Hegberg fans, I know that I just switched those. It's supposed to be a chef, and then can you farm? Yes, I know. Don't don't at me. Uh, but just like yeah, that idea of like this is this is my special. This is what my passion is, and what I spent all these years like training for. And now you want me to go do something kind of related, but not really. Just because I have a name that people recognize. Yeah, it's weird. I
0: think I think a really good way to tie this back to. A little bit of what I'm referring to is recently, Paul McCartney was in a movie, uh, the last and final, hopefully, Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And oh
1: God, was he? Uh,
0: yes, he was. He was in it. It was so it, because the whole joke was that they always had Keith Richards, and and in addition to Keith Richards, this time they're going to have Paul. And Paul is in a is in a jail cell, dressed up as a pirate, playing a song. And there's dialogue between Paul and, and Johnny Depp. And it is
2: bad. God it help us. It is bad,
0: bad, 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 bad. Paul is not an actor. <laughs> um, but that's because they were asking something of him, right? Like they were asking him to play a role of a pirate. And he's not a pirate. But he was at this point in time in this movie a silly 20-something. So he could play himself. Um, so I think that's kind of what it boils down to. That movie is not great. Um, <laughs>
2: uh, apparently I can Paul's performance in that apparently they might still be making another Pirates of the Caribbean oh my god just stop just stop <laughs> um, yeah, and then also, the, uh,
1: him not being an actor might be a, a reason why he doesn't you know everybody in this movie tends to get their they they each get their moments you know and Paul Paul's are much shorter and more scattered Whereas you've got you know Ringo going off by himself, you've got John going off by himself here and there, and you've got um, oh George goes you know, all George by himself. being an entire drafted scene. by a fashion designer—that's
0: a great scene uh, by the way. That's so
2: random,
1: <laughs> which is so bizarre. But it—it's got this weird sort of prescient thing about social media, you know, where the the designer is talking about this this model he has, or, you know, this person who wears their clothes and talks about them for them. And she's, you know, George is sort of scoffing at this picture of her. And the designer says, she's a trendsetter. It's a profession. (laughs) He goes, she's a drag. She's a well-known drag. We turn off the sound on the television and make fun of her when she's, (laughs) when she's on. And it's just like, this is making fun of like YouTubers and Instagram celebrities nowadays you could apply it equally well it's like yes your profession is a trendsetter but that doesn't make you a doesn't necessarily make you a a good person or someone who's worthy of all this attention and uh speaking of
0: trends and george i'm quite happy that he grew he grew out of and it never became a trend to have a beatles unibrow because (laughs) i'm watching him this entire movie and I'm just like, why? I want to George? attack him with tweezers. Why? <laughs> the, it's like, and it's like, it's not like he forgot. It's like it's a stylistic decision. Oh, it possible. was a choice.
2: <laughs> it was a choice.
0: And I don't get it. <laughs> he, George was a good-looking guy, and he had to ruin that with the unibrow in those very early years. Fortunately, that very was short. Free to of him. <laughs> yes, it was interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think uh, to kind of wrap down. Um, I'm not really going to ask the whole like do you like this movie would you recommend this movie because we'll all say the same thing it's 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 Beatles music and if you like the Beatles it's fun to play around with but it's really nothing probably well actually you
2: know from what we did this this discussion had kind of changed my view on the film a little bit and and this I looked up the Roger Ebert because I cannot believe that Roger Ebert had reviewed this movie Uh, it was from 1996 (laughs) I think a lot of the reviews probably on Rotten Tomatoes are like reviews looking back which, totally, 100%. Which might be why, and his last paragraph I think sums up why it is so well-loved and, and people look back so fondly on it. The innocence of the Beatles and A Hard Day's Night was, of course, not to last. Ahead was the crushing pressure of being the most popular musical group of all time, and the dalliance with the mystic East, and the breakup, and the druggie fallout from the 60s, and the death of John Lennon. The Beatles would go through a long summer, a disillusioned fall, a tragic winter, but oh, what a lovely springtime, and it's all in a movie.
0: Yep. That's perfect. That's exactly he what I have been trying to say for an hour. He summed up perfectly in a paragraph. Uh, Nicole, um, is there any kind of final thoughts you have?
1: No, I mean, it's just it's it's a fun movie. You know, it's a, it's a great movie for having on in the background at a party. Um, yeah. It's fine. And, you know, sit down and watch it. That's great. I, my attention actually kind of wandered once the concert on tv at the end started um i mean i was still listening to the music but i didn't feel compelled to watch these bizarre experimental close-ups of like one ear and one eye while they're singing yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> which i found very odd um but yeah i mean it's good it's not bad it's good it's yeah, enjoyable it's I'm not gonna run, you know. I'm not gonna tell everybody run out. You must oh, see no, this before yeah. you die. But it is a fun movie. It's entertaining. It really captures. I mean, even though it's heightened and it's fictionalized story, the the way the people are acting while they're singing is absolutely real. Uh-huh. That happened know, like, at getting the out concerts. of people cars and stuff. They would chase the whole military. show. Yeah, yeah which. To me, what what's the point of going to the concert if you're just going to stand there screaming, you can't hear anything? But maybe that's old lady me talking, no, no, being no, like no, you're young you young people. What's I'm the whole point of going? You know, obviously the point is to be near the Beatles, but right. I mean, that's, that is real. You know, the crowds running after their cars and swarming it, it. That's real. That happened, and so it really captures a little piece of history there.
0: Absolutely. In fact, it would get very dangerous at times when the Beatles were playing at Shea Stadium. That was when – this, and this would have been two years after this, 66. That's when John said that he thought that the Beatles were bigger than God – bigger than Jesus. Um, and that, that real – that pissed off a lot of people, especially the Catholic Church, who disowned Paul until – I mean uh, John until like five years ago when they forgave him uh, posthumously. But um, – what John was – first of all, to clarify John, what he was saying was that the Beatles were more popular than going to church, and that was true um, at that time. But I digress. Uh, during that show at Shea Stadium, they filled the entire stadium. It was the first arena show really of all time, and they didn't have the sound equipment for it. They had amps that were you know, two stacks high maybe. You could maybe hear them from the first row of 200 rows, and – to get them in and out of the stadium, they really believed someone was going to get hurt because they were driving them in on these giant um, trucks that they had to basically shove the boys into the back of. They weren't even like visible. They were all blacked out. There's no uh, there's no like light in the back of these darkened trucks. There's no windows. And the trucks are almost getting knocked over by the fans. The, fa- the fans are almost pushing them over and rioting. That's why when you look at the videos of Shea Stadium, they are, there's cops everywhere because the cops were like tasing girls as they were like jumping over the fence and <laughs> running to the Beatles because someone you know someone could have pulled out a gun and shot somebody. Like it, it was
1: Did they uh, have tasers in nineteen sixty six?
0: I'm being facetious. I don't think they actually tased anybody, but they did <laughs> they did tackle them. Um but in fact and all all of that is in that Ron Howard documentary from last year. But um yeah, it was gonna get even crazier. It was gonna get even, even crazier. It is not surprising that these guys ended up Live in the rest of their time as a band in a studio. Shortly after this, it really isn't. Um, so to no, close that out, would put
1: me off touring.
0: Oh yeah. So the close out. Lastly, I'm just going to ask, what is everyone's favorite musical performance of the movie? Uh,
2: I don't know. The one where they sang the Beatles song. Yeah, that's I don't, it's all it was all <laughs> kind of the same for me to be perfectly that's honest. Okay. What about
0: you, Nicole? As someone with a little more background to the Beatles?
1: Um, I my. F- well, I mean the most artistic one is when they sing and I do in the inside the luggage cage of the train car. Yeah. It's all very mm-hmm. symbolic and well done, but I think my my personal favorite is when they do um if and their lip syncing is horrible and George almost <laughs> kicks over an amp. <laughs> yes. And it's lots of fun.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. For me it's it's going to be I think the last three songs all strung together at the end. And for me, it's purely almost even a historical thing where it's like, we actually have great footage of them performing really great tunes or actually, you know what? I'll go back and I will say, um, till there was you is a great performance in this movie. Um, because that's a Beatles song, by the way, who would (laughs) have thought, but, um, when Paul is up on this giant, like, like platform thing, because that was the thing in the sixties was put people on platforms, um and all of them are kind of separated out behind him and he's doing till there was you it's really beautiful um it's a fun movie if you're a beatles fan you're going to enjoy it if you want to try to understand beatles mania a little bit more and look at it from a historical perspective this is also going to be a great way to kind of get right in the middle of it um but that's going to do it for us on this week of movie go round next week as you did this to us at the beginning of the show we did announce what that's going to be because we don't know yet it'll also be in the show notes. David, where can people find you online?
2: You can find me on the Heck yeah Comics podcast, heckyeahcomics.com. You can find me on Brokebot Mountain, And you can find, well, when this comes out, we will still be in the middle of the new season of, Broke, of uh, Westworld. So you can find me talking about that show over there. And you can find me around the internet under the username DavLuz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, find me there.
0: I have not started the second season yet, so no no it's spoilers, good. but are you enjoying it?
2: Yes, the one episode. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> okay, there's only one episode. Well, I'll, I'll ask you after tomorrow night when there's there two. There we go. And, uh, Nicole, what about you?
1: I curate our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. I curate our old Facebook page at facebook.com slash society. And you can find me personally on Twitter under at your word whiz, And that's Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z.
0: Very good. My name is Brett Stewart. Find me on brettdavidstewart.com on Twitter at Rivers Rubin. Uh, write a review if you like the show. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you write a review and you enjoy the show, then more people can find us on iTunes and Stitcher because that is the way their weird algorithms work. Additionally, you can email us moviegoround at tiltingwindmillstudios.com and lastly, if you do want to connect with us on Twitter I've noticed that's where a lot of our engagement is coming from, including people um, lamenting the current you did this to us choices (laughs) you can do that at pod. That'll do it for myself for David and Nicole. We'll see you next week when you torture us with whatever it is you voted on. See you then.